Thank you, David and Luke and Sharon. I appreciate you leading such a um, worshipful hymn for the Lord Jesus. Good morning. Let's open our Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll continue our study here. parent said about her exceptionally, exceptionally obedient child, you know, my son never caused me an anxious moment. Paul could not say that about his Corinthian children. The believers there did cause him real concern and heartache. The problem in Corinth was that there was a remnant of resistance. Uh, many of the believers had been won um, over to the apostle's side as, uh, as was right and proper, but um, there were those who refused his authority and therefore his ministry. Yet Paul's mission remained, I am jealous for you with a holy jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. In our, um, in our study this morning, we're going to look at revelations that were a, um, um, a, an authentication, a proof of the apostle's authority. He had offered um, proof enough in this letter already. He said to the Corinthians, look around. Look at, the look at the people around you. You're the fruit of my labor. He said in, uh, he wrote in chapter 10, verses 13 and 14, that uh, the, sphere, the sphere of his gospel ministry included these Corinthians. We, however, do not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Look around, Corinthians. You're my, you're my children. You're my fruit. You're my proof of apostleship. I preached the gospel to you. You believed. You um, came to the Lord Jesus, and you have his spiritual life. Which of the false teachers that you're exalting can, can claim this authority? So that was one proof, uh, one of his earlier proofs. The second one we looked at last week, and that was his suffering for the believers. Paul claimed no seminary degree. He had no pastoral commission from an earthly headquarters. He uh, had no resume brimming with uh, his fantastic achievements. Instead, he boasted of his uh, afflictions of his deprivation and hardship as a parent for these, uh, for these Corinthians. The sacrifices that he made for them and for other churches too really show his authority. But um, he brings us perhaps the largest proof today. He saved this one for, um, for last. And this, um, 
we could sum up as the privilege of a personal audience with the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorified Lord Jesus. Before we get there, though, um, let's turn, turn back a page to um, 2 Corinthians 11. Let's see where we left off last week with an example of real humiliation. Verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed, blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Eritas, the king, was guarding the city of, Damas of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Paul escaped the dragnet of the governor um, while he was in Damascus by being let down in a basket outside the uh, city wall like a third strike felon. How humiliating. His next words take us to the dizzying heights of exaltation, a meeting with the Lord Jesus. Here in California, we have the Death Valley, which is the lowest point in the Western Hemisphere. And uh, just 109 miles away is Mount Whitney, which is the highest point in the contig contiguous United States. So within a couple of hours, we can travel from the depths of uh, the depth va Death Valley to um, see at least the heights of Mount Whitney. And that's what Paul does for us here. He's taking us from his humiliation to his exaltation. So let's, uh, let's pick up here in, um, in chapter 12. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not, it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. <clears throat> for though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. <clears throat> Paul begins, he says, it's not profitable or advantageous for me to boast, but William MacDonald notes in his commentary, under the circumstances, it's necessary. I have to. It's not good to promote oneself. In Proverbs, we read, it is not good to eat much honey. So to seek one's glory is not glory. Like getting sick from eating too much honey, our self-promotion sickens others and ourselves. It's sad that the Corinthian resistance had brought the apostle to this point. But he knows a man in Christ, whether in the body or out, he doesn't know, such a one was caught up into the third 
heaven. He introduces a, an event that happened 14 years ago. Now, he's not a stranger to the Corinthians. He, um, he's visited them twice. He's written them twice. And the first time he visited, he was there for 18 months. Okay? And he's just now describing an event that happened 14 years ago. A large event. Imagine a husband telling his wife at dinner, Sweetheart, did I tell you that back in, in uh, 2004, uh, Governor, Duke Majin, uh, Governor Schwarzenegger came by to visit me at my cubicle at work to, um, to give me uh, a project and some advice? Uh, what's, uh, what's with that? Why didn't you tell me back in 2004? Well, here Paul's telling the Corinthians, this happened 14 years ago, and I, I'm telling you about it now. Modesty prevented the apostle from mentioning it before. And he does so now only under duress, only under pressure. Paul had uh, visions that, um, uh, that he talked about. One vision was um, on the road to Damascus. We read an account of that in uh, Acts 26. It's where he was arrested by the Lord Jesus. He was uh, breathing out threats and um, um, uh, capturing Christians to, um, to persecute and kill them. And the Lord Jesus arrested him by his grace. And this is the commission that the Lord Jesus gave him during this initial vision that, uh, that he gave the Apostle Paul. He said, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles from whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. But here the apostle addresses additional visions and revelations as happening to some other believer. He, uh, he addresses it in the third person. I know a man in Christ. And he also um, is uh, not sure whether it was in the body or out. What's, um, what does that mean? Out of the body means he was dead. And in the body means that he was alive. Some think that Jesus took Paul to paradise and gave him revelations when Paul was stoned at, um, at Lystra and left for dead. For one of us to say definitively, yes, uh, Paul was alive when he received the revelations or no, Paul was dead would be presumption as Paul himself did not know. <laughs> but he was caught up to the third heaven. The first heaven is... Um, the sky, it's uh, where the birds fly, where um, planes, uh, planes travel. The second heaven is uh, outer space where the planets roam, where galaxies spiral their starry tentacles. The third heaven is God's habitation. This is where Jesus promised to take the repentant thief as he died on the cross at Calvary. 
But Paul says, um, I heard inexpressible words. They were too sacred for me to repeat or to publish. Unlawful meaning um, he was not permitted to do so or uh, one commentator says it was not possible. It's simply not possible for him to repeat. There were truths that the Lord communicated to Paul, two types of truths. There were truths for his personal direction. And we, um, we heard that when the Lord arrested Paul and commissioned him as we read on the road to Damascus. He was giving Paul direction. I'm, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to turn them from sin to, uh, to me. And then there's a second um, truth, type of truth, that Paul was to communicate to the churches for their edification and equipping. So uh, we're going to look at several of these and we want to look at what the church, what the believers knew, and then what Paul uh, revealed, what Paul taught uh, according to the revelation of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus prophetically said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. Paul taught the doctrine, the position, the walk, and the destiny of the church. Paul's epistles to the seven churches, Thessalonica, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesians, Philippi, Colossae, and Rome, give full instructions concerning the unique place of the church in this age. And uh, he gives the counsels and the purposes of God in that. So the Lord Jesus gave us his, um, his plan, his truth, and then he tasked the apostle to fill that out, to, uh, to fill in the details for us. A second truth, John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Paul developed this baptism of the Holy Spirit. He shows that it places one in Christ. And this vital oneness of his people of today with Christ and one another in him forms this central theme of Paul's revelation. This in Christ position makes real in the believer all that Christ purchased for him on the cross. So it's, it's important, it's vital to us as followers of the Lord Jesus. Jesus said um, that he, as the good shepherd, gives his life for the sheep. But he told Paul, in fact, um, uh, we're going to turn there in, Ephesians, in uh, Philippians 2. He gave Paul some of the depths of his, uh, of his giving himself. Philippians 2, kind of a favorite passage for us. Um, verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus gave himself for you. Have you received him as your savior? There will be a meeting. You will meet him in a coming day, whether you receive him or not. And that's what Paul uh, continues in Philippians 2.9. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has in grace um, given himself for you and um, as, uh, as wonderful a promise as that is, a wonderful, as wonderful a provision, it's equally as, um, uh, as it, it's shocking really to to think that um, uh, in that future day, every knee, your knee will bow to him. Your knee's gonna bow to him. What, um, if, you, uh, um, if you continue as an enemy of his, as a uh, sinner confirmed to, uh, committed to continuing in your self-reliance, uh, self self-rule, um, you're gonna find yourself in torment bowing to the Lord Jesus. So we urge you, please, to receive the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Yet another truth that the Lord Jesus communicates are those uh, of grace in his teachings. Uh, and yet um, Paul expounds on these. He um, expands these, and he gives the precise relationship between the... Um, uh, the law and the new entity, this church, which uh, the Lord promised. But Paul really shows the, um, uh, the reality, the purpose, the, um, the future of the church. And he unfolds the believer's justification, sanctification, and glory. Paul is distinctively the witness of the glorified Christ, who is head over all things, to the church, which is Christ's body. Paul places a believer in closest union with Christ, identifying him by the Spirit's baptism to, his, uh, to Christ's work in death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and coming glory. Wow. These, um, these truths are marvelous. And uh, they, they give us so much the Lord Jesus has provided through his apostle. So take the challenge. Study these truths more fully and summarize them. Imagine sitting in the meeting where 
these epistles were first read and the excitement of even the most studious scholar of, um, of the scriptures hearing these for the first time. And imagine better still sitting under the teaching of the apostle. Here uh, Paul enters Corinth. He, um, he's uh, teaching for these 18 months and he's, he's revealing these very truths that we're talking about this morning. Yeah, I, I, read, uh, I read about the Lord Jesus. I, I've heard his promises, but what you're telling me is marvelous. You're, you're, uh, you're thrilling my soul. You're talking more about the infinite, about God's grace, about his plan for this company of, um, of believers, uh, our purpose, our heritage, the strength that he gives. But better even than that, let's take the completed word of God home and uh, study these truths for ourselves. Let's, uh, let's take them all, all these truths that uh, the Lord Jesus revealed to us and then left to Paul to expand for us. Let's, um, let's make a study of that. Paul really addressed the, um, the person of the Lord Jesus. He, he showed um, who the Lord Jesus is, what his work was, and what the Lord Jesus' salvation is. And those are so critically important to us today in a world of um, spiritual confusion. We have so many different voices speaking to us. We need to know, we need to know the, uh, the truth of God, be able to uh, defend that truth from his word, contend for the faith. In, um, in verses five and six, we see the, the apostle wrestling. He says, on the one hand, of such a one I will boast, yet uh, of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. Paul shows his reluctance to write of this experience, and we hear the protective restraints that he puts on himself. The first one is he uses the third person. He points to this other person. He says, of him I will boast and not of myself. He's, he's protecting himself against um, pride. And then he says, the only boasting I'm gonna allow myself is to speak of my limitations, my afflictions, my inabilities. I'm safe on that ground. And then third, he says, uh, though I may desire to boast of many other great experiences, I'm not gonna play the fool. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be a fool, vaingloriously uh, promoting myself. In Proverbs, we read, the heart of fools proclaims foolishness. I'm not gonna do that. And then finally, uh, the restraint Paul puts on himself, he says, I will speak the truth. I will speak the truth and not some self-promoting, uh, advertising some exaggeration of things that I did not do. But I refrain from further boasting because of the danger of leading people to think of me more than I am. Perhaps this is what the Judaizers were doing. They were, um, they were trying to get people to think more 
of them than they really were. Paul hated even the suggestion of self-glorification, but the Corinthian critics in this situation seemed to demand it. So Paul, in these verses, opens his heart to see, for the Corinthians to see what the real struggle is that he's, um, that he's dealing with. Have you ever been afraid to um, speak words because they seem to be boasting? Um, they seem to be advertising yourself. They seem to be promoting yourself. Well, it's a fear that Paul had. You're in good company. So Paul, um, Paul had these self-imposed restraints. The Lord put an even larger restraint on Paul. And we, um, we read these in, uh, starting in verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a, for, a, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The danger, of course, as we said, is um, raising oneself up in his own estimation because of privileges, favors that God gives. God gave Paul an abundance of revelations. God gave Paul a restraint against pride and boasting. What is God's restraint? Well, it was a thorn in the flesh. On top of Paul's hardships, his labor, his injuries, his daily deep concern for all the churches, add this restraint. It shows the danger of pride and the extent to which God will go to protect his privileged workers from it. So what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? It was a very painful disorder. It was um, perhaps migraine headaches, perhaps a speech impediment, perhaps chronic malarial fever. We don't know. Paul didn't say. He left it unidentified to us, perhaps, so that we who suffer um, similar afflictions would be able to identify with Paul. There was one in the Old Testament who suffered a thorn in the flesh. Do you remember? Jacob. The Lord was protecting him against um, pride as he exalted him to the, uh, being a father of, um, uh, of the 12 tribes. Now when he saw um, when the Lord, the angel of the Lord saw that um, he did not prevail against him, that is Jacob, he touched the socket of his hip 
And the socket of, of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he, that is Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you've struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. So here's another uh, thorn in the flesh. Paul says that it was a messenger from Satan. Satan is glad to limit the Lord's servants. He tested Job by taking away his family, his possessions, even his health. He threatened to sift Peter like so much wheat. Satan is only too quick to, to help out in, um, in hindering the Lord's work if he could only derail God's plan of building his church, of saving sinners, of, um, of bringing them into communion with him. Satan will do it. But God in his sovereignty and wisdom allowed Satan to act. He, in his, um, in his wisdom, limited the actions of the hinderer. He used the hinderer to further his work by humbling his apostle. Now, Paul says um, that the messenger buffeted Paul. And I, I don't know why uh, we don't translate that punched. Because the, um, the picture here, that word buffet means that you're punching someone with a fist. Paul had endured five beatings with whips, three canings, and one stoning. You can be sure that if Paul said that he was being beat up, he was being pained by a messenger, that he was in pain. So he prays for deliverance. He pleads three times for the Lord to take this away. How did Paul plead? It was probably in a time, a season of extended prayer, maybe fasting. Lord, I beg you, take this away. And we, we can do the same. We can go into a, uh, a season of, of reaching out to the Lord, of uh, pleading with the Lord, denying ourselves um, food and saying, Lord, bring this to pass. And we pray until we know that the Lord has heard. We keep praying until we're sure, yeah, the Lord's heard me. I can stop praying now. And I believe that's what Paul did. Paul, uh, the Lord never doesn't answer a prayer that's properly made. The Lord always answers prayer. Answers may be direct, where the Lord says, yes, I give you what you want. I give you what you ask for. It's within my will, within my purpose, and I'm glorified through that. The, prayer, the answer to prayer may be delayed. It may be after a time of waiting. We have to wait uh, weeks or months or years to see the, um, the prayer answered. Prayer may be denied. The Lord may say no. Nope, that's not, uh, that's not in my will, that's not good for you, and I'm telling you no. 
And then there's um, an answer that is different. God provides something better than we request. There was a farmer who used to mail order his clothes from a, a catalog. That was before the internet. And um, on this mail order form, there was a block at the bottom. It said, um, if we're not able to provide the item that you've ordered, would you accept uh, something different, something better? And the farmer kind of cautiously checked the block and he sent it in. And what he got back was not what he ordered. It was something way better. It was twice the value of what he ordered. <laughs> farmer said, great. So now whenever he orders uh, through the catalog, he puts a big check right there on the, on the yes block. So God um, didn't uh, deny Peter, uh, Paul, but he sent him something better than relief, than um, deliverance from this uh, thorn in the flesh. He sent him enabling in, um, in verse nine, we read, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God gave Paul ability in Paul's humility to uh, do in God's strength what Paul could not have done in his pride and self-effort, his personal strength. <clears throat> God gave Paul revelation. God gave Paul restraint. God gave Paul grace. He gave him strength to operate in humility and do the work he had for Paul to do. God's strength is perfectly exercised and displayed in our acknowledged weakness. What kind of strength? Is it uh, physical strength like picking up this podium? Is it emotional strength? like bearing with the undeserved criticism by loved ones? Is it mental strength, like staying up late with a hurting believer and going through the scriptures and, and showing, uh, giving comfort to that, that believer? Is it spiritual strength? Is it continuing earnestly in prayer until we're sure that God hears us and God answers? Well, yes, <clears throat> yes to all of the above. God's strength is that physical, it's that emotional, that mental, and that spiritual uh, ability. Yes to all of these. <clears throat> Paul boasted in his infirmities. He says, um, I most gladly, uh, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In fact, he took pleasure in infirmities and reproaches, in needs and in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. By nature, we take shelter from the storms of life. We try to avoid infirmities. <laughs> but the apostle, the apostle Paul enjoyed them. They gave new opportunities for him to exhibit Christ's strength. Because when I am weak in my own ad admitted inability, then I'm strong in Christ's ability. 
Paul gives this qualification here. He says, for Christ's sake, for Christ's sake. It's for the cause of Christ. It's for his glory. If I have consequences of my own foolishness, that's not included here. Paul is saying, these are the things that I do in my work for the Lord Jesus, my efforts for him, whatever I do for the Lord, I, um, I rejoice in my weakness, my infirmity. On the subject of weakness, <clears throat> Hudson Taylor was complimented um, on the success of his mission, uh, his missions organization back in the uh, mid-1850s mid-1800s, he established China Inland Mission. And through decades, <clears throat> he was able to um, send out missionaries by, by God's grace, thousands of missionaries, and brought the gospel to China without asking for a dollar. <clears throat> it was through, uh, through God's provision. And so, this friend was telling Hudson Taylor about the impact that the mission had had and uh, how grateful he was. Hudson Taylor responded, he said, it seemed good to me that God looked over the whole world to find a man who was weak enough to do his work. And when at last he found me, he said, he's weak enough, he'll do. So Paul, when he was weak, when he admitted his weakness, then realized the Lord's strength. There was something missing from the Corinthians. There was a missing commendation. Um, Paul uh, addresses that in the last verses. He says in verse 11, I have become a fool in boasting. You've compelled me. For I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing I was behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it in which you are inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Paul did what he hated to do. He proclaimed his privileges that the Lord Jesus gave him. But this defiant faction in Corinth probably understood no other language. They, they had to hear it. They had missed the most obvious evidences of Paul's apostleship. And so Paul had to, to boast, as it were. The Corinthians should have commended Paul they should have defended him before the uh, critics, before these Judaizers, these false teachers, trying to lead the uh, Corinthians away into, into legalism. Hopefully we'll hear um, more about that in our future studies. But they missed the opportunity to recognize and support a worker who was battling against the Lord's adversaries. They, they should have stepped up to it. Paul was, Paul was um, not inferior to the most esteemed super apostles. I'm not sure if that means those Judaizers who were promoting themselves, but Paul says, I was not 
uh, inferior to them, not behind them. Though I am nothing, I am no one. Jim Elliot said, we're simply a bunch of nobodies trying to exalt somebody, with a capital S, somebody. The Corinthians' spiritual dullness couldn't be explained by lack of evidence. In verse 12, the apostle wrote, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. The miracles, the authenticating miracles were there. That was yet another proof of the apostles' authority. In fact, the, um, the Corinthian assembly was inferior to no other churches except that Paul was not a burden to them financially. He, um, he wrote uh, to the Corinthians, he said, when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. Paul's labor among the wealthy California, I mean, for, uh, Corinthians was supported by the Macedonians, the poverty-stricken Macedonians. What a rebuke to the wealthy believers that, um, that he would have to rely on these poor, uh, these poor men and women to minister to the uh, relatively wealthy. So let us not neglect those works and those workers that are truly owned by the Lord, but support them materially, financially, as we can. By way of application, we want to recognize and appreciate and defend God-ordained and God-owned ministry. The Corinthians failed. They, um, they did not um, support Paul. They didn't appreciate uh, Paul, at least these um, whom he's addressing today. It requires discernment and discrimination on the part of every believer. We can't afford to be um, wandering in this area. We have to be able to discern what's, what's right and what's not. Then, um, secondly, let's realize and acknowledge and anticipate the grace of God. He's, his grace is sufficient. It's, uh, it's fully abundant for every work that he has for us to do. Let's step out in faith and depend on that grace. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. There are a couple of modern day examples of um, those who have really relied on God's grace in spite of um, big thorns, big um, uh, physical afflictions. One is a sister, uh, you sisters here will know, in San Francisco, uh, formerly from Parkside, she doesn't go to the meetings anymore because she's crippled. But to speak with her on the phone, she overflows with the joy of the Lord and with, um, um, with his reality, the, the knowledge of his presence. And though she doesn't fellowship at Parkside, 
you want to know prayer requests for Parkside? Talk with Noreen. She's, uh, she talks with the saints there. She knows what the needs are. And um, it's just, um, it seems that this thorn in the flesh has caused her to be even sweeter and uh, more used of the Lord in, in prayer and um, in support. And then um, recognize um, God's work, realize God's grace, and then finally be strong and courageous in God's strength, admitting our own inability. That's enough. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that um, uh, there are adversaries, there are enemies of your gospel, and um, only too quick to um, bring us down. We, um, we thank you that you do allow for uh, suffering, that it um, humbles us, and actually causes us to do even better for you than we would have in our own strength or in our pride. So we, um, we pray that we might take your word to heart, that we might... Um, uh, we might recognize where you're at work, when you're at work. We might realize your grace and step out in faith in that, and that we might be strong and courageous, uh, attempting great things for you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.